0: Hey, good morning, City Light Lincoln Church. My name's Austin, I'm one of the pastors here. Man, we're hanging out in a park. People are wearing, okay, a couple people wearing bro-tanks. It might be raining right now, but I see a couple of you wearing bro-tanks, and I'm proud of you. Man, we're grilling out. You guys are in the rain, worshiping Jesus, and it's just crazy to see. I'm so proud of this family and hundreds of you here just to worship Jesus. Um, but this morning, is, it's about so much more right, than a fun morning in the park. Men, women, and children, old and young, familiar with church and new to church, are coming to Jesus and finding him to be an all-satisfying and all-sufficient savior. We've seen hearts change, lives transformed, marriages restored, leaders developed, and churches planted because of the power and grace of Jesus. And today you're going to hear real testimonies of real people that met the real Jesus and have been transformed by his real grace. You're going to see over 30 people baptized publicly displaying that Jesus Christ saved them. Every single life this morning is a miracle. Every baptism is a story of grace, and we pray that one name will be repeated over and over and over again this morning, that one name will be made famous. The name that will ring through this park over and over and over again is Jesus. That's who we're here to worship and celebrate, amen? And so before we start dunking people, I want to remind us of who Jesus is And how he views us. And so, if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. And uh, as you're opening there, let me ask you a question. Uh, When's the last time uh, that you were lost and someone found you? When's the last time that you were lost and someone? Found you. Well, my wife and I lived in South Africa as missionaries with our two best friends uh, for a while, and and we lived with a native South African couple, and so it was a great experience. And we got invited to a wedding, and we thought, man, this would be a great culture experience, and so let's go to this wedding. And uh, side note South Africa is one of the most dangerous countries in the world. So we go to this wedding, it was beautiful, but it was super long, and we get done, we thought, hey, let's explore the city, the wedding was in a different city than we lived in, so we explored and walked around, and then we thought, man, we should go to the movie theaters, and so we go to the movie theaters, and we watch a movie, and uh, it was great, and we thought, hey, man, we got us some time, man, well, let's, let's sneak into another one, Now, okay, some of y'all are going to judge me right now, but there's grace for that. Okay, we're in church, right? Jesus died for my sins of sneaking into a movie theater. I'm repenting, okay? I haven't done it since, I don't think. But anyways, uh, um, and so we go to another movie and find out it's a three-hour-long movie, okay? So by the end of it, we're walking out of the movie theaters. We've been in there for five hours. And as we walk out, uh, our phone just starts to blow up notifications, texts, uh, emails, phone calls, and voicemails. We found out that inside the movie theater, we didn't have any reception. And so, uh, so we couldn't receive any calls or texts or anything. And then we get the phone rings and it's the guy that we're staying with. And I answer and he is livid. I mean, he just starts, he, he's just so mad um, because what happened is that uh, we never told them that after the wedding in this different city, in the most dangerous country in the world, that we were gonna explore the city and then spend five hours in the movie theater. It was like, what are we thinking? And so they were convinced that we were kidnapped uh, we, we were lost, and we would never be found. They thought we were in great danger. I mean, the police were looking for us. Uh, people were scattered through the city looking for us. A bunch of people in the United States and this, in South Africa were praying for us. I mean, it was that serious. It was really bad, and it was our fault, right, for not telling them where we were going. They thought we were lost. And when we finally got home, the guy that we were staying with was just so mad, so beside himself. And I don't really blame him, right? That's, a, that's an emotional, crazy experience. But, but the anger of us being lost overshadowed the joy of us being found, right? The anger of us being lost overjoyed, the, the, uh, overpowered, overshadowed the, the joy of us being found. And, and I remember sitting back and thinking, man, is, is this how Jesus responds to us when we're lost and he finds us? Like, is this how God views us when, when we're lost and he finally finds us? Like, is he, is he angry? Like, does he scold us? Does he remind us of all the things we've done wrong and all the things we've, ways we've failed, and then he finally just punishes us? Is that how, and you may be thinking that too, is this how God is looking at me right now? That I'm just lost, and once he finds me or once I find him, he's just going to scold me. Well, thankfully, in Luke chapter 15, it shows us Jesus is very different reaction to finding lost sinners. And so we'll open it up and just look at verse one real quick. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Now, I love this verse. Tax collectors and sinners are drawn to Jesus. Now, just to get some contextual understanding, tax collectors were despised by people in Jesus' time. Like they went to families to collect taxes, which was their job, but they would charge way more than the family owed and profit richly off the increase. Tax collectors were basically thieves, okay? No one liked them. They they were getting rich while others were becoming poor. And then the word sinners here refers to the natural outcasts of society prostitutes, alcoholics, and other marginalized people. And, And one of the names that people gave Jesus was friend of sinners. And, and, and they used it to be slanderous and offensive to Jesus, but I'm convinced that it was one of Jesus' favorite titles, a friend of sinners. City Light, don't miss this. The crowd that Jesus loved hanging out with were people that were normally avoided by the religious crowd, right? Like Jesus attracted sinners. All throughout his life, lost sinners came to Jesus, not because he catered to them or because he compromised his message, but because he actually cared for them. He actually loved them. And and I've got to admit, for a long time, I thought Christianity was for good people. I thought church was for people that had their lives together and that were really good and morally on the good side of the good scale, right? And then I started to learn about Jesus. And then I started to read about this Jesus in the Bible, and I started to see the people that he hung out with. And so, listen, if you're here in the park today and you don't think that you belong because you're struggling or you've got some skeletons in your closet, or because you're addicted, or because you don't necessarily fit into the church crowd, you would love hanging out with Jesus. You would absolutely love hanging out with Jesus. You would fit right in with the people that he hung out with, but not everyone loved this quality of Jesus. Look at verse 2 with me. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, Pharisees and scribes are the, the religious leaders of that time, and so they're equivalent to the pastors of our day, right? And they looked at Jesus hanging out with these notorious sinners, and they grumbled. I mean, they're mad about it, right? They start complaining. They couldn't believe that a guy like Jesus, a guy that knew his Bible and claimed to know God, would spend his time with these rebellious lost people. And so in, their respo- in response to their grumbling, Jesus gives us the parable of the lost sheep. And so let's look at verses three and four. And so he told, so Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? So... Jesus is is setting the stage, right? He gives us this this parable, this story to illustrate and help us understand what's true about lost people and what's true about God. And so he sets the scene in verse four. There's a shepherd and he has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost. And so the question is, what do you do? And if you've ever spent any time around sheep, you know that they're not smart animals, okay? They wander and get lost. Um, They are soft, but they surely are not smart, and they're incapable also of finding their way back, and so what happens is they actually go farther. They kind of self-sabotage by going deeper into their lostness. That's why sheep need a shepherd, because they get lost. They need someone to find them. They need someone to rally around them and keep them in the fold, And so among these hundred sheep, one wanders off and goes missing, and the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. And I want you to think about this. The sheep would have wandered off into all different sorts of territory, right? Some far, some dangerous, some unknown. But notice there's no contingency of whether or not the shepherd goes after it. He he just says, my, my sheep is lost, and I'm going to find it. And remember, Jesus is telling us this parable so that we better understand him. And if we're being honest, I mean, it's really easy to think that God just has his divine arms crossed towards us. I mean, it's so easy to think that God's constantly disappointed with us, saying, hey, man, you you made your bed, and now just go ahead and sleep in it. But this story destroys that idea. When we're lost, Jesus doesn't cross his arms and let us wander deeper. Friends, he goes after us. He doesn't care how far we've ran away, how fast we're running, how dark of a place we've gotten to, or how dangerous of a situation we've landed in. He just goes after us. And if my wife called me this week, and I hear her quivering voice say, I I can't find Graceland. We were in the store, and I looked away for just a second, and now I can't find her. You better believe that before she even finishes that sentence, I am in my car driving as fast as I can to find my daughter. There is no second thought. There is no contemplation of risk. There are no other details I would need to know other than that my daughter is lost, and I would relentlessly go after her. And friends, there is more urgency more passion, more love that wells up in Jesus when he sees his lost sheep. He just goes after us. And the fact that Jesus leaves the 99 to go after the one has to shock us. I mean, we have to ask the question, why doesn't God just relax and settle for the great numbers he already has? There are some 2 billion Christians in the world today. Why? Why? Why doesn't God just look at the 99 and feel satisfied? Why doesn't he just look at the two billion Christians and just feel satisfied? Why, God, go to such lengths and take such risks to secure just one more sheep? Here's the answer. Because that sheep matters to God. Because that sheep is his. Friend, you matter to Jesus. Now, every person in this world is broken right? We are all guilty of sin. We constantly disobey God, right? Whether it is the the sweet old grandma or the, the precious little girl or the valedictorian or the doctor or the plumber, it doesn't matter. We are all guilty of sin. We are the sheep that wanders away from the shepherd, every single person in this world. But I thought to myself this week, would Jesus have died for me If I was the only person that he needed to die for, if you were were the only person that wandered off and sinned, are you valuable enough to God for him to send his only son just for you? And the glorious answer in Luke chapter 15 shouts, yes, he would, and yes, you are that's how much he cares about you that's how much he cares about the one that even if you were the only person he had to go and die for he absolutely would that's how valuable you are and i love this passage but my favorite words come at the end of verse four just four words until he finds it." it it shows us the resiliency of jesus He will not stop searching until he finds his lost sheep. In the 1800s, a man named Francis Thompson called Jesus the Hound of Heaven. He wrote a beautiful poem, co- poem calling Jesus the Hound of Heaven. And we get this picture of Jesus running after us. And listen, some of y'all are running and some of y'all are fast, but Jesus is faster. Amen? He is running after you and he will not stop until he finds you. The Hound of Heaven is tirelessly searching until he finds you. And let me just point out that it doesn't say until he gets tired. Until you mess up bad enough, until he realizes that you're not coming back. No, until he finds it, nothing will stop or slow down Jesus from running after you. He will never, never give up on his lost sheep. Now look at verse five. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Now, when a sheep would get lost, they'd often be so weak that they couldn't make their way back home. And so when this shepherd finds this lost sheep, it's unable to make the journey home. And so he throws it over his shoulders. Uh, I met a guy last week that hasn't placed his faith in Jesus yet. And as we sat down and talked about Jesus, he said, Austin, um, I, I believe in God. Like That makes sense to me. I believe absolutely in God, but I can't fathom that he would love me. With all my brokenness, with all of my sin, I just can't believe that he could love me. I can't wrap my head around having this love that I did nothing to earn or nothing to deserve. And I wanted to lovingly grab him and say, that's the whole point of Jesus. You can't make your way to God. You need to be carried. You you can't earn his love. That's why it's unconditional. That's why it's called grace. That's why Jesus came for us. If we could be perfect, Jesus never would have had to die. If we could make our way back to our shepherd on our own, Jesus never would have had to come to earth. If we could make ourselves right with God by following rules, then Jesus died for nothing. Do you see it? Jesus frees us up to say, I cannot make it on my own, but I don't have to because Jesus did it for me, because Jesus made his way to me. There is a massive misconception that God will love us when, God will love us when we fix ourselves up, when we stop doing this or looking at that, when we start coming to church consistently, God will finally love me when when I fix myself up. But if you look at this story, friend, you have to see that God doesn't love us when we fix ourselves up. The shepherd didn't whistle and wait for the sheep to come back home. No, he went after it and found it, and he throws it on his shoulders. He found it when it, its lowest place in the midst of addiction, in the mix, uh, midst of, a, of alcoholism, in a pornography addiction, in adultery, in lying, in pride, in lust. He found the sheep at its lowest point, and he didn't wait for it to get healthy. He grabbed it, and he threw it over his shoulders, and he brought it home friend, don't believe the lie that God will love you when the good shepherd runs after you and loves you when you are in your mess. That's the gospel. And see, like, can can you imagine the joy of the sheep resting on the shoulders of the shepherd? Like this is this is the posture of the Christian life, thinking, wow, I I can't believe how far I went. I can't believe how dark my life got. I can't believe how far I was lost, how lost I was, but now my shepherd came and he found me. (laughs) Jesus didn't leave me there. And what's God's response to finding lost sheep? Is it anger? Is it frustration? The word that comes over and over and over again in this passage is joy. The delight of God is bringing lost sheep home. It brings him joy when he finds lost sheep. Look at verses six and seven. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. <laughs> the shepherd isn't ashamed of the sheep. He invites his lost his all of his friends over to have a huge party. And then Jesus goes even further and says that all of heaven, all of heaven rejoices when a sinner repents. When one lost sheep is carried back by Jesus, all of heaven erupts into a huge party. Now remember, This story is in response to the religious leaders that grumbled about Jesus hanging out with notorious sinners, right? The people that are grumbling, the religious people, the people that think they're good enough. Jesus is giving us this parable in response to them, and Jesus is telling these guys that the joy of heaven isn't people falsely convinced that they've been good enough to not be lost, No, the joy of heaven is humble sheep that admit that they were lost and the only way back is through Jesus. That's the joy of heaven. And this morning, you're going to see over 30 people baptized. That's over 30 people publicly confessing that they were that lost sheep, admitting that they couldn't make their way to God on their own and proclaiming that Jesus rescued them from their sin. You'll hear testimonies of how God radically transformed their lives, gave them new desires, made them new creations, and is using them right now in his kingdom. You'll hear them confess their sin and brag on how far Jesus went to rescue them. And if all of heaven is having a huge party over these sheep that have been found, hey, y'all better get crazy. Okay, y'all better go nuts and get excited and jump and shout and go up and down and just get excited because if all of heaven is rejoicing over these sheep being found, man, we better follow suit. We better get crazy and lose our voices and shout and scream because Jesus is good and he is doing a saving work right in front of us. Now, there's nothing special about this water. In case you were wondering, getting baptized doesn't make them more loved by God or more cherished by God, or more special to God. They are already infinitely loved by God when they place their faith in Jesus. Baptism is, is a beautiful sign, but a simple sign that puts the gospel on display. It's a sign that, of what has already happened in their lives when they place their faith in Jesus. And so as they go down into the water, it's representing how their old self has died with Jesus. All their sin has been buried with Jesus in the grave. And as we pull them out of the water, it symbolizes how they are new creations in Jesus, washed by his blood and raised to new life. Now, if you're here and you've placed your faith in Jesus, have have you started to drift and think that you were the one that made your way back to God? Have you forgotten just how far Jesus had to go and what he had to do to save you? I pray that these stories and these baptisms refresh the gospel in your heart and put a renewed passion to reach the lost. I pray that you would be humbled and encouraged to remember the hound of heaven, Jesus, finding you when you were far off. And if you haven't been baptized, I I would love, uh, as a believer, I would love to talk with you. I'd love for you to talk to our staff and see what that looks like, to take a step of obedience and get baptized as a believer, to show what Jesus has done in you. If you're in the park today and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet, he is pursuing you right now. You're the lost sheep that Jesus left the 99 for. And so please, I'm begging you, don't believe the lie that God couldn't love a person like you. Don't believe the lie that God couldn't forgive the things that you've done. Jesus' cross, his death, his resurrection, they're big enough to rescue the most far-off sheep. So friend, he is running towards you and he will not stop. If you want to finally let the good shepherd Jesus throw you over his shoulders... Our staff is standing in the back to walk you through what that would look like. I would love to encourage you to repent, to turn from your sins, and turn to Jesus, to admit that you were lost, and embrace the good shepherd throwing you over his shoulders. City Light, in John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his, down, his life down for the sheep. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus laid his life down for us by dying on the cross and paying for our sin. And before putting us on his shoulders, he first had to put our sin on his innocent shoulders. Before bringing us home, Jesus had to leave his home. Before bringing us back to life, Jesus had to lose his life. And 2,000 years later, this Jesus is still ruling and reigning and pursuing and running after lost sinners. And we get to see the lost sheep the other sheep that he laid his life down for. What a joy. So would we spend the rest of our lives as joyful sheep resting on the shoulders of our joyful Savior? Would we constantly remember how far Jesus went to rescue us, and would we invite more lost sheep to meet our loving shepherd? Amen.